You know, there was a man named uh, George Mueller, but he lived in the 1800s and um, he was passionate about prayer. Pretty much any book you pick to go read on prayer, at some point they're going to bring up his name. His goal was to run orphanages uh, in Bristol, England and around that area. He, in those orphanages and with his helpers, took care of about 23,000 kids over the course of time. His passion was to try to take the truth of who Christ was and make it real in everyday life. But you know what? He did more than that. He actually went to his knees repeatedly about specific prayer requests, and he recorded them all. He ended up saying at the end of his life, he saw 50,000 prayer requests answered yes. 50,000. Wow. One of them goes like this. He was on his way from England to Canada. And he was looking to uh, be speaking there at an engagement. He was going to be speaking about what he was doing with the orphanages, what God was doing as he cared for the fatherless and widows, but what God was doing in prayer. And he wanted to be bringing the message to them. He felt that God was calling him to it. So he's on a ship on his way over. And he gets about halfway across in the ship and the fog just settled in like you would not believe. And the captain had to shut everything down to almost just a crawl. And he was standing on the front of the ship talking with the captain. And he says, are we going to be able to make it? And the captain said, it doesn't look good. With this fog settled in this way, typically it takes days for it to burn off. It doesn't look good. And he said, that doesn't make any sense. God has called me to get to Canada to pray. And I'm convinced I need to be there. Let's go downstairs. We need to pray. And he said, we need to pray for what? And he said, we're going to pray for this fog to go away now. And the captain's like, okay. So they go downstairs and George Mueller says, Father, you're the one who set up this time for us to go to Canada. You're the one who set up this chance for me to speak. You're the one who set up and ordained for them to hear about you. I'm assuming you still want to go through with that. And as such, I am praying that you do this. Remove the fog. Now. Let's get going so we can get there on time. And then he looks at the captain. And the captain says, uh, Well, uh, God, I guess uh, if you could take away the fog. And George Mueller looks at him and he says, Stop. You are no longer praying. You don't believe. You're just putting words on your lips. Let's go upstairs. The fog has already been removed. And the captain said, what? He goes, come on. They came upstairs and sunshine is beaming down on the deck. And he looked at him and he said, when God wants to do something, don't ever doubt. Just pray. That captain had quite the life lesson and we end up getting the benefit as it was recorded down. My question is this. Engaging powerful prayer. Where does that come from? How does it work? Where does the power of prayer actually come from? It certainly isn't just from the magic words we put on our lips. What is it? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 
You know, the ushers are coming forward and they've got some Bibles. We would love to get a Bible into your hands. So we're going to be going through the passage today as well as uh, another scripture. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hands. We'd love to get one into your hands, okay? So we've got a couple of Bibles here. We've actually got a raised hand here as well. All right. Coming down. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Backdrop. Solomon has just finished building the temple, as well as his castle, his kingdom. He's got both of them being built, and he's just finished them. His point, he's trying to raise up before God Almighty honor and praise and glory. And he's trying to give Israel a location where they can come to worship the king of all kings. So the, the uh, kingdom has just been finished, but so is the temple. And we start in verse 11. We'll read up to 14 just to get the, uh, kind of get the context here. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens... So that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Wow. God speaking with Solomon and he gives a very simple if then. Do you want answered prayer? Do you want to see an engaging, powerful life experience with me? This is how it's going to be done. Here we go. First point, know and trust him personally. Know and trust him personally. Out of verse 14 here, he says, If my people... Who are called by my name. Simple. If my people. Who are called by my name. Stop. Okay first. Let's recognize this. The first word in that sentence. Is the word what? If. Is the word what? If. That's a big deal. Okay. So there's some conditional element. Going on here. Okay. What are the conditions? First. My people called by my name. My people called by my name. Remember last week, we were talking about how Jesus was praying to God the Father. And he fell to his knees and he said, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. The relationship was being recognized from Christ to the Father. Daddy, intimate, personal, trusting. This is the same recognition Go in the other direction. God the Father speaking of us. And he says, my people, my kids, you're mine. Now that is an important statement. The king of kings saying, my kids. Where is engaging powerful prayer? It's starting with the king of kings, kids. You and me, if we trust in Jesus Christ as our savior. You know, he says right here after it, called by my name. Yahweh followers, 
Christians, little Christ ones. That's what that means. We carry the name of Jesus Christ as we are ones who follow him. As our lives have been changed by him. We are called by his name. Quite the privilege. You know, I look at this passage and I'm awed by the fact that we get to have this personal relationship with him. That he literally wants to reach down into our lives and say, these are my kids. You are my child. And I want to scoop you up and put you on my lap. And I want to talk to you and hear from you. And I want to work with you. You are going to be amazed. That's what he's saying. The Almighty at work in our lives. Okay, let's be a little careful here. Just going to take a little sidestep for a moment. We are reading Second Chronicles, okay? This is a book in the Old Testament. This is a chapter written to Solomon and the Israelites, okay? Very specifically to the Israelites. So I want to be real careful. What we shouldn't do is just pick up the Bible, flip it open, start reading something promised to the Israelites, and just start saying, that's me. We have to be really careful with that. How does this apply to us today? Are we Israelites? Maybe some are. But the reality is we can claim this on a whole nother front. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Turn there with me real quickly. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Hear the pages rustling. That's good. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. About ready here? All right. Here we go. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have to be real careful when we read this, okay? The Israelites went through a sacrificial process and they entered the Holy of Holies only after sacrifices were made and cleansing was done. And he is saying, as he's, the writer of Hebrews is saying, we, just like the Israelites, can now enter the Holy of Holies, but not because of some physical lamb sacrifice, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. We can enter in and be called his child. We can sit in the presence of the throne room of the King Almighty, and he says, this one belongs, my child. Amen? Now that's privilege. Can we read 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and say, you know what? This is a verse that applies to me today. Absolutely yes. Hebrews chapter 10, New Testament passage that says yes. Absolutely. We always need to be careful as we read the old that we allow the New Testament to clarify how it applies. Okay? Just want to make sure we make that clear. One little side verse here to also write down. That was Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. Another verse. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. In him and through him and through faith in him, we may approach with confidence. In him and through faith in him, we may approach 
with confidence. We are called by his name. Remember last week, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Daddy, we can call him Abba, Father, Daddy. Can we say we are his people? Yes. Can we say he is my daddy? Yes. Is he saying of us, my kids? Yes. That's where prayer starts. Is that we need to know him and trust him personally. Personally. You know, I was uh, driving through a little town called Hanover, northwest Illinois. My dad owns a, a small farm out there. And I was on my way back home after hunting. And uh, I was going through uh, the Hanover Speed Trap. It's like everybody knows about it there, including me. And I just zoned out as I'm driving through. You drive past a speed limit that says 30. And then as you're driving, there's another one that says 40. And you can see it, but you better not be going it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like until you get there. So there's this little spot in between where if you have good enough eyes, you can start speeding up because you think you're going to, and you're actually now going 39 and a 30 kind of thing. You know what I mean? Okay, so I got busted in one of those. So I get pulled over, 39 and a 30, and I hand him the driver's license, and I said, you're kidding, right? Like I'm 12 feet from the 40 mile zone. Look at, can you, and he started smiling. He goes, son, you got to go the speed where it says the speed. All right, fine. So he goes back and he's sitting back at the car for a while. And he's on the radio and he walks back forward with my driver's license and he taps on the window and I roll it down and he hands it to me and he says, is your grandfather Harvey? And I said, yeah, he is. And he said, who's your dad? Is it David or Dwayne? And I said, it's David. And he goes, wow, well, hey, it's good to meet you, Tim. Last name of Harkness. Okay. In Hanover, Harknesses are all over the place. All right. He knew me by my name, even though he didn't know me. There is privilege with having name. Sometimes a lot, sometimes very little. Maybe it'll only get you out of a small ticket in Hanover. But you know what? There's privileges in being called by a name. When you are called by the very name of God Almighty, there is privilege. There is promise. There is guarantee. And there is relationship. Question. Are you called by the name of God Almighty? Do you know him personally? Do you trust him with everything you've got? You've heard me say this before and I'll say it again a bunch of times, okay? But we serve a God who is holy and righteous on the one hand. And in his holiness and righteousness, he has the right and the privilege to call us to his level of perfection. And when we come up short, payment is due. And that payment is eternal separation from him. If we choose to reject him, it's outright. All human beings stand in the same spot before God Almighty originally. Rejecting God and therefore eternal separation is the punishment. But that would not be pleasing to God Almighty. And he raises up the other arm of justice and mercy and love. And provision. And he makes a replacement payment available for you and for me. As it puts him in the tension of the cross. Where righteousness and holiness are demanded. But love and mercy are provided. At the cross for you 
and for me. When we're talking about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when we're talking about his body broken for me, when we're talking about a relationship that can be had with him, it's through his payment for us. We serve a God who wants to call us my kids. We serve a God who wants us to be able to call him daddy. How does it start? By simply saying, please forgive me, God. I throw my life at your feet. I'm trusting you with everything. Please use your shed blood on the cross to forgive me of my sin. Don't get me wrong. It's not a magic mantra of little words. It's got to be from the heart. I'm really giving you who I am, God. Question, is your faith changing you? I really like to say it this way. We've heard it at Harvest a bunch of times, and it's really a good way to say it. A faith that saves is a faith that changes. If I'm changing over time, my faith is alive and growing. And if I'm just kind of, I said some words a couple decades ago, and I've been sitting in the same spot, and there's no change in my heart, my challenge to you today is this. Know him personally. Trust him with everything you've got. There is privilege in being called by his name. And he wants to scoop you up and pull you on his lap and have you call him daddy. Today is the day to give your heart to him with everything you've got. Know him. Trust him personally. Okay? We got to start there. That's the first. Second, get clean inside and out. Get clean inside and out. If you notice here, it says, if my people who are called by my name, get ready, humble themselves. Oh, we like hearing that word, don't we? Humble yourself. And then there's a sequence of ands here. And at the end of it, he kind of bookends it. He says, humble yourselves. And at the end of it, he says, turn from your wicked ways. Humble yourself, the heart. Where do I stand with God Almighty? What is my view of him? And what do I want to do about giving myself over to him? Humble myself before him. You're in charge, God. I'm giving it to you. Humble. Turn from your wicked ways. Well, if my heart has now been given over to him, my actions are going to follow suit. Give it over to him inside and the outside starts coming along. You see, all too often the problem is we start preaching, turn from your wicked ways. And that really doesn't work until you preach, humble yourself. Come to know who God Almighty is. See yourself in light of him and cry out just like Isaiah did. Woe is me for I am undone. Unbelievable who you are. I am in awe. Please forgive me. Tell me what you want done. And turn from your wicked ways. Let those actions, whether it be in lip or in hand or in feet, let your deeds reflect your heart, which is humbled before him. That's the call here. Get clean inside and out. A couple of verses real quickly just to write down. Psalm chapter 86, verse 11. Psalm 86, verse 11. It just talks very simply about clean hands and a pure heart. You better have clean hands and a pure heart. Pure heart, humble yourself. Clean hands, turn from your wicked ways. Same thing, okay? 
James 5, 16. Back a few months ago, you guys were going through a series uh, with Pastor Kent on James. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Of a what? Of a righteous man. Humbled heart, turned from wicked ways. Well, why is that effective prayer? You know, I'll just give you the little inkling here before we move forward. But the reason it works is not because God goes, Hey, good job. You tried to please me. Now I'll listen to you. It's not that. It's as God is working with you, as you are working with him and letting him change your heart, you start getting a beat for what he wants accomplished. You start figuring out what God wants done. And as your heart matches his heart, your prayer matches his desire. And those prayers get answered. That's the way prayer works. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, someone who knows what God's thinking about, avails much. Okay? Get clean inside and out. Husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7. You know what, guys? We have a huge job. Biblically, our job is to be leading the home, caring for our spouse. 1 Peter 3, 7. Know your wives. Live with them in an understanding way, I think the NIV says. Okay? What that really means is be a student of your wife. Okay, it doesn't mean be tolerant, like be understanding of we kind of that that phrasing gets sort of lost. But what it really means is know her, understand what's going to upset her, understand what's going to give her joy, understand what her fears are and her strengths are and work with her and care for her and honor her. And the end of the verse says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. How do I walk righteously as a husband? You better be caring for your wife. That's what it says flat out. Okay? It's a high calling, guys. And we need to be on it. All the way around in the package deal, get clean inside and out. Get clean inside and out. Okay? I'm just going to jump to an illustration. There's two oak trees. They're in the middle of a park. This town has grown to love these giant, monstrous, 100-plus-year-old oak trees. They cast the shade during the summer. People have been engaged under these trees. People picnic under these trees. They are gorgeous trees in the park. And they're used to them, and they love them. They're twin oaks. One evening, a storm comes in, brewing up. The wind is whipping. The rain is pelting. The, the storm just starts blowing at huge velocities. And the branches in these oaks are bending and twisting in the wind. The next morning, when people are coming out to find out what kind of damage they've had to their roofs and to their shingles and, and everything else on their house, somebody notices one of the trees has gone down. One of those oaks fell. In the afternoon, a few people come over to try to cut the oak tree up and try to clean it up. And what they noticed is on the inside, insects have been in there burrowing and boring and taking away the center structure of it for decades. And what appeared to be a strong facade was nothing more than a hollow shell. And those high winds sent it toppling. The other tree hadn't been infected and it stood strong. My question to you is this. 
Which tree would you be? How are you doing with the inside? All too often we can have those actions looking pretty polished up. We can come in on a Sunday morning and we've picked out the nice little clothes that make us look pretty good and we wear the storyline that makes it sound pretty good, but the reality is life is crumbling and we're not telling a soul. Our hearts have been directed away from God himself. Whether it be that we're focused all on me and what I want, or maybe it's focusing on me because of my pain, we're starting to let the infectious disease of self take over the heart. And as that happens, we start to become a more hollow shell. Get clean inside and out. Where's your heart at? How are you doing being humbled before him? Laying it before him to change you. Letting him suggest what might need to be adjusted. And going after it with everything you got. Turn from your wicked ways. Are you ready to give up the heart to him? Remember last week when we talked about those burdens where you reach out and you let go? It's time to set it in his lap. What needs to be let go of so that the burrowing and infestation stops? Humble yourself before him. He wants to scoop you up and care for you with all he's got. God Almighty, completely compassionate and trustworthy and gentle, just wants to clean house for your protection, for your joy, for your privilege. Let him get to work. Let him get to work. So first, we need to know and trust him personally. Second, we need to get clean inside and out. Third, passionately pursue him and his will. Passionately pursue him and his will. It reads, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, here we go, and pray and seek my face. And pray and seek my face. Okay? So pray. Hey, that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, that's how we ended up in this verse. Okay? And pray and seek my face. I just want to say a few words here. When we're called to pray, that can be daunting if we have not been prayers. And I just want to challenge you guys with this and I want to encourage you with this. Three simple things that you could think about as what prayer is. All right? Number one, it's simple. It's not complicated. God's not looking for big, complicated storyline, big presentations with huge theological terms. It's simple. Number two, it's real. You're being honest before him. And number three, it's specific. That's what prayer is. You know, my grandfather, uh, we loved to hunt together. He, uh, he passed away a few years back, but he was, uh, he was raised in a church that taught in the King James. Um, so when we're out on the hill, we'd be talking and he'd, you know, yeah, the deer went running up on the other side over there and, you know, that kind of talk. And then I'd say, hey, you know, it's lunchtime. Hey, Gramps, why don't you pray for the meal? Our father, we just thank thou for the, you know what I mean? And it's like he'd pray in the King James. And it, the, the shift was so dynamic. You're like, whoa. What? I, you know what? God really, I mean, he'll accept prayer in any form and fashion. And the truth that my grandfather grasped was this, that I respect God. But there was a piece he was missing, which is 
we need to be very real before him too. Let's go after realness. Let's go after honesty. Just laying yourself out. Simple, real, specific. You know what I mean? It shouldn't be real daunting. It should be real basic. It's just telling him how you feel, even if it's a couple words or a sentence. That's prayer. Communicating, conversing with God. He says, pray and seek my face. Okay, seek my face. Now we could roll past that and you're like, I've heard it before, I know, let's move on. But here's the reality. The Israelites were told that if they saw the face of God, they would die. And then he says, seek my face. (laughs) What? Think about that. What he was actually trying to teach them was, guess what? I need you to want a relationship with me. I know you get this big transcendent God, but I'm also personal and relational. Want to be right in my presence. Want to be with me. One commentary I read, it doesn't say seek his hand for a give out, for a handout. Seek his face for a relationship, for knowing him. Seek. What does that word mean? Fervent, dedicated, focused, given everything I've got. It's not a casual wandering, hoping you run into him. It's everything I've got is going into looking for and following after. Seek with all you've got. Seek his face, his character, his person, the truth of who he is. Study him, know him, know about him. You know what? This book, the Bible, what a phenomenal place to get to know him. I, I used to uh, just kind of read through and there, there'd be a lot of times where you get done as you're reading and you're kind of like, I'm not even sure what I just read. So I started becoming an active reader. I try to put a pencil in my hands. And uh, right now, orange is the color I like running with. You go with an orange colored mark, you know, an orange highlighter or a crayon, whatever you want to use. And as you're reading along, anytime you find God stuff, highlight it. God said this. God thinks this. God wants this. His character is this. Underline and highlight those. When you go through the darker times of life, you pick that up and you can flip through your Bible and it's like orange everywhere saying, look at this. This is who I am. It's a quick help in the time where you need to find him fast and figure out who he is. Know the truth of who God is through scripture and then know him personally through relationship as you experience him in your life. Seek his face regularly daily and with passion. You know, George Mueller was asked, how in the world do you have 50,000 prayer requests that are answered yes? And he said, do you know what I do? When I see a need, when I see something going on that needs to be prayed after, I actually begin to write down, I believe that this is what should happen. And then I go look for a promise in scripture, a character of God I can lean on, a truth of who he is that would definitely say, this is the way I'll go. And I lean on that. I look for it, I hunt for it, and then I come to him and I say, this is what I found from scripture, God. You are a God who wants this. So I'm asking you to follow through like this. You're a God who would do this in this situation. Can you do it for this person? He's leaning on the promise of God. The trustworthiness of God. Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord your God. I change not. 
Who he was yesterday is who he is today, and it's who he'll be tomorrow. He is trustworthy. Find his character, find his promises, and lean on him with everything you have. That is seeking his face. Get to know him, get to know his character, get to know his promises, and pray him back to him. That's some powerful praying. I wrote down a phrase here. God-centered, but not selfish. God-centered, not selfish. Okay? That's important. So as I'm thinking through things, it's what would God want here? Not what would I want. But what would God want? Often, what we want will match with what God wants, especially the more we abide with Him. But it's what does God want here? God-centered, not selfish. And number two is specific, not indifferent. That's really important. Because if I say to you, just pray for his will, then what we end up doing is we go into a situation and we're like, I don't know, whatever, Lord, whatever your will is, that's indifference. Whatever? Are you serious? You don't care. When we care, we're passionate and direct. It's not wrong to pray specifically, even like Christ last week, very specific. And yet at the same time, he said afterwards, but your will be done, Lord. This is the way I'm seeing it right now. I'm willing to be corrected. Your will be done. But I'm praying for this. That's powerful prayer. Let's look at what happens right at the end. Remember, this is an if-then clause. So if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. We have a guaranteed promise of a hearing and a responding when we pray to him. That's our God at work in our lives. There was a missionary who was stationed overseas and he was given a small house to work from and a car that was in pathetic shape. And he was trying to use this car to get around the city to meet various people. And he noticed the first day that the ignition did not work. If you turn the ignition, nothing would happen. But it was a stick, so he could push it and get it started. So every day, he either parked on a hill or had his kids come with so that he could push that car or get it going, okay? That was his plan. For two years, he continued to do that. This is a true story. For two years, he continued to do that. At the end of the two years, he actually was sick, and they had to come home to the States on furlough. And so they put another missionary out there. And the first day that new missionary came, he said, hey, just so you know, the ignition doesn't work on the car, but it really runs great after you get it going. It just won't start. So I park on hills and I have my kids come with. If you want to do that, then you'll be okay. And he said, well, sounds like the ignition wire's not right. So he opens up the hood, jostles that wire, and the ignition started working. Two years he went without being plugged in. How often are we doing that in our lives with prayer? Where we're running, not, not wired into him, the very power source. And we're trying to get it done all on our own, pushing her, going down hills on ourselves, on by ourselves, whatever we have to do to try to make this thing work, we're going to get it done. And all we needed to do was calm down, take a second, humble ourselves before him, get ready to turn from our wicked ways lay it in his lap and connect him to the power source. God Almighty, he is our power. 
How do we engage in prayer with power? It's engaging with him who is power. God himself at work in your life. Now that's powerful prayer. Are you pursuing a passionate relationship with him? Are you seeking his face with all you've got? Are you spending time in the word in a way that's making you more informed of who he is each day? More informed of what his promises would be? Go after him. He wants to be found. This isn't a game of hide and seek where you hunt and he hides. He's asking you to come looking. It's our sin that keeps us from seeing him. Lay it down. Humble yourself. And seek him with all you've got. That's the secret to engaging in powerful prayer. So if we look at this all from the top now, it starts with we need to have a personal relationship with him through his shed blood. We need to then begin to humble ourselves and turn from our ways that are not honoring to him and go after him with our relationship. And then we pursue him day and night, knowing him, wanting to know more about him, wanting to be changed from the inside, praying simple, real, and specific. God does not care how the words come out. He cares that you're coming to him. If my little daughter comes running and jumps on my lap and sits down to share with me, I am not going to stop her and say, I'm, excuse me, you just split the infinitive there. I really want to talk to you about your English grammar, right? That's not what happens. I don't care what she's, I want to hear what's going on and I want to hear what's happening. I want to embrace her and I want to be a part of her life. That is your daddy with you. Engaging in powerful prayer. It's about being connected to him, the very power source. That is the secret to power in prayer.